When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 226, and we are recording on April 7th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Ride in Quarantine. <laughs> Week three? Week four. Something like that. I am unsure. It is. It's been a bit. It's a bit of time. <laughs> yeah. And I should specify, I'm not under full quarantine, just like isolation, physical distancing, mm-hmm. going out as little as possible. So, but it still feels like a lot. It's a good shorthand for, I think, what everyone is yeah. experiencing. How are you and your children are all still alive. So that's good. We are. Are so far, yeah. Um, they're fine, you know, like they're the perfect age for this kind of thing because they're not so young that they need my constant supervision, but they're not old enough to be complaining about how this is ruining their life. Oh, good, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I keep seeing all these articles and stuff on people, my friends who have teenagers who are like, my my 16 year old is gonna, I'm gonna murder them because, like, they, you know, everything is a personal affront. Yeah, this is like the most dramatic thing that's ever happened to any of us, but when you're that plus being 16, it's like a horrible combination minor you know they're nine and all they want to do is play mario kart and like okay <laughs> yeah right right so not so bad that not does so bad. that does sound pretty solid well i'm i'm so glad i'm so yeah. glad um <laughs> my cats continue to think that this is the best thing that's ever happened to them <laughs> Are you home forever? Forever. <laughs> like, just forever. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, except for that, you know, we're actually trying to work also, mm-hmm. and they don't like it when we're in the office because it means that they don't get snuggles. So, you know. Well, fair. <laughs> yeah. It, their lives are still not perfect. They're closer, but still not perfect. Yeah, you don't need to just be home. You need to be home and, like, on the sofa. Exactly. Or in the bed, one or the other, depending on which cat it is. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> they have requirements. Well, we are sending good thoughts to all of y'all listening and hoping that you are doing as best as can be during this time. Um, If you are trying to follow along with the COVID-19 book world impact, we are – Gathering all that information uh, on a day-to-day basis, basically, we put (laughs) Mm -hmm. up new posts about what's going on, and some of it is good and some of it's not so good. But you can find that all on the site. If you go to bookriot.com, there's a headline that has all of our COVID-19 coverage collected under it. Click it, and you'll get all of the stories in most recent uh, on 
order. And there will also be a link in the show notes. Um, so we're going to actually talk about books, I swear. <laughs> and if, you're, if you're new to the show, here's how it works. Y'all send us your requests for reading recommendations. It can be for you if a certain book left a hole in your heart and you're trying to fill it. Um, or if you are have a book club that needs some options or a gift for a friend or a relative or really whatever, we will do our best to find you a good next read. You can send those either by email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If it is a timely request, meaning you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, whether that's because it's a birthday or, well, not travel at the moment, but you know what I mean. If you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, Please put it in all caps, beginning of the uh, form or the very subject line of the email. Let us know. We will do our best if we're not going to get to it on the show. By that date, we might shoot you an email, so keep an eye out for those. We have lots of feedback today. Uh, Two recommendations from Alicia for Eric, who is looking for books featuring classical music. An Equal Music by Vikram Seth. The main character is a violinist, and music is a huge part of the plot. And the Finnevar Tapestry series by Guy Gabriel. Okay, which, side note, editorial note, what a blast from my past. I was obsessed (laughs) with this series as a teenager. Oh, my gosh, just so obsessed. And uh, Alicia is not wrong. There is a significant character who's a cellist, and there's a piece of music that plays a major role. But the whole thing is like a fantasy Arthurian portal situation. Uh, uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So... And then Roxanne uh, says, for Mary, the children's librarian who asked for light and fluffy reads, I highly recommend Sourdough by Robin Sloan, set in San Francisco about a woman programmer who is given a magical sourdough culture and the ways in which her life changes because of it. Good recommendations, y'all. Okay, so our first question is from Passant, who says, I was wondering if you have any book suggestions that are based around or feature a strong platonic relationship that will make me cry. It could be friends, teacher-student, wise man, slash little boy, or anything else. I enjoy mostly literary fiction and historical fiction, but I'm open to all genres. And before we get into our recommendations for Passant, we will do our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. 
College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amanda, I've been talking for 16 years. What (laughs) strong platonic relationship book do you have for recommending? I picked Lab Girl by Hope Jaren, which has my favorite platonic relationship between coworkers. Um, so this is a memoir. Hope is a scientist who runs a lab in uh, it's in Hawaii. I'm pretty sure, and uh, she is a botanist. Um, and so the memoir starts uh, in her childhood, uh, where she grew up in rural Minnesota, and her father was a scientist, and so she learned, like, you know, at his knee how to um, love experimentation and the scientific method and all that kind of stuff. She goes to college, um, works in a hospital pharmacy for a while, and then eventually becomes a prof- professional scientist uh, with her own research lab. And so you um, are following her, you know, journeys through all of that. And then, like, it, in the background at the beginning of the book, and then increasingly more and more important, is a man named Bill, who is her lab partner and best friend. And Bill is a character. Like, in my head, the entire time, he was, um, like, the man down by the river living in a van. Like, that SNL <laughs> character, like, that's who Bill is. He has very few romantic relationships because he just cannot be bothered with, like, entanglements. Um, I'm pretty sure he actually does live in a van for most of the book, uh, except sometimes he does live with Hope and her husband on occasion when, you know, needs must. Sometimes he lives in the lab. He's, like, a brilliant lab partner, and they become so dedicated to each other. And, like, he is around helping her raise her son. I think, he, you know, he takes part in her wedding when she does get married. And Hope herself has um, some mental illness. It's like she, I think she has bipolar disorder. I don't remember the exact diagnosis. Um, but if you listen to this on audio when she talks, which is how I read it, when she talks about her illness and the way that Bill was there for her and remains there for her through all of that, it's just so I cried so much in this book because of the two of them. And like, she cries, which makes it I'm a I'm a what like a, a sympathy crier, like how if you see somebody yawn, you yawn. If I hear somebody <laughs> crying, I'm probably gonna cry. Even if I'm not sad, it's just my face starts to leak. I don't know what that is. But she cries at all of these really emotionally heavy moments in this book, especially when she's talking about Bill. And so I am just in my car like, this is so nice. You guys are so great. I love you so much. And that's where my feelings about this. Um, and they like go tromping off together on like scientific adventures. And they're their friendship is just it's just lovely so that's lab girl by hope jaren one of these days i'm gonna read that book what oh it's God. gonna happen one day <laughs> while you're home so yeah you it's true. <laughs> if only i had the focus to read for real for real <sighs> 
Um, my pick for this question is from my TBR, and it is strongly recommended by various Book Riot folks, including Rebecca from the Book Riot podcast. It is New Waves by Kevin Wyan, and it is about also co-workers, actually. They, Lucas and Margot, work at a tech company in New York City. And Margot is a programmer. She's also the company's sole black employee. And Lucas is like a very low paid customer service rep and is Asian. And they like bond over various things. And they decide they're going to do a heist because they're like bored and fed up. Um, so they're going to steal their the startup's user base to take revenge. But then Margot dies. She gets hit by a car. And or I can't remember if she gets hit by her. Anyway, she's in a car accident. She dies. And Lucas is left sort of holding the bag and (laughs) the pieces of their friendship and starts looking into Margot's life, trying to figure out, like, was her death an accident? What's going on? And then he discovers that maybe he didn't know her as well as Mm. he thought he did. And so this is like a little bit of mystery. It is literary fiction. And Kevin worked in the tech industry uh, in various places, including R.A.P. Oyster. Oh, I miss Oyster so Mm. much. Um, One of my favorite book startups of the uh, early 2000s. And yeah, and everybody, like the reviews have been great. Uh, Like I said, lots of Book Riot folks are loving it. And I think it's an interesting you know, look at platonic relationships that have been influenced by technology, right? Like, how do we know each other if we know each other in real life and online? Like, what? how do those pieces fit together? So I'm excited to read this. It seems like it'd be a very good fit. And Rebecca did co-sign this for this question. So again, that's New Waves by Kevin Wine. All right. Question two is from Hannah, who says, I'm looking for recommendations for simple chapter books for my six-year-old sisters to read to themselves. All the children's books lists seem to either be picture books or the kind of middle grade that's closer to YA. Where do you look if you want something in between? My other siblings and I all read a lot, read a lot as kids, but these two haven't particularly shown much interest in books, and their reading level is quite far below where ours was at the age or where my mother thinks it should be. They'll listen to anything if we read it aloud to them. We've enjoyed things like Jill Murphy's The Worst Witch, Megan McDonald's Judy Moody, Beverly Cleary's Ramona series, and Patricia C. Reed's Dealing with Dragons. And we've already been down the road doll road, too. They're fine rereading things that have been previously read to them, but so far, pretty much all they've managed to read for themselves from the get-go are the Rainbow Fairies and Airy Fairy series. So something in that vein or maybe slightly more advanced would be great. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked the Thea Stilton and the Dragons Code for you, uh, which is the first book in the Thea Stilton series. There are tons of books in this series. It is by Thea Stilton and Geronimo Stilton, who are mice. I don't actually know who the human authors are. Like, they're just not on the book, so you don't get to, you don't get to know. I assume it's like a babysitter's club thing where like it's a million different people writing. Who knows? Anyway, um, so Geronimo Stilton is the main um, series that is written uh, by this mouse. I don't know. Um, And he is a mouse who goes on like lots of adventures and uh, solves mysteries and things like that. They're great chapter, like early reading chapter books for kids who are like six, seven, eight. That's when my boys read them and really, really loved them. There are pictures in it and the text is really big. So they're not intimidating um, to kids who who don't feel very confident in their reading level. And they're also mysteries. Like you're given clues to solve um, along with whichever mouse, you know, is the main character of the series. I picked the Thea Stilton series 
series as opposed to the main one with Geronimo because if your sisters really like the airy fairy and the like fairy princess series, then they're probably going to prefer a female main character. But if you don't feel like that's actually true, then either of these would be fine. Um, so in the first book, Thea Stilton and the Dragon's Code, Thea is a mouse who is invited back to her college class to teach journalism. And when she arrives at Mouse Island, she like quickly takes five little mice babies under her not wait tail I don't know uh, <laughs> becomes close to like these students um, and then one student goes missing and her and her other her little like, cadre of students need to solve the mystery and your the readers given clues along the way to help them solve it it's very interactive and super fun and like very sweet and cute so that's Thea Stilton and the Dragon's Code by Thea Stilton who I will say again is a mouse we used to sell just like stacks upon right? stacks of those Stilton books. They're so fun. They're they so get cute. they like max out at the library. Yeah, they can take. They yeah, love them so much. And there's a billion of them. Mm-hmm. There's so many. It's very useful. Uh, I'm gonna drop a post in here for you. We've got a couple of roundups on the site of books for first and second graders, which obviously six is like. I can never remember. I think six is kindergarten, so it's a little bit, but there there's a wide range in there, and you might find some good things. Um, but my recommendation for y'all is Phoebe and Her Unicorn by Dana Simpson. This series, you might have heard Liberty gushing over them. There are, like, I want to say eight or so books in the series, and these are graphic novels for, like, really kind of for reluctant readers. And what I love about graphic novels for this age is that there aren't so many words that it's intimidating, but you do have to read the words to know the story, right? So it's a good combination, I think, especially for, like you mentioned, they liked the Rainbow Fairies and the Airy Fairy series, and Phoebe and her unicorn is about a little girl named Phoebe who gets a magical unicorn as her best friend. Like, that is <laughs> that kind of, like, sparkle fairy, you know, adorable fantasy that I think they will respond to. And it's so sweet and funny. It's very sharp and witty. Um, I think that, like, I don't know what else to say. Like, what's not to like? <laughs> like, the the... the the unicorn's name is Marigold Heavenly Nostrils. <laughs> it's so good. It's so sweet. It's so fun. And there's so many of them. Um, and like the little girl, like, the, you know, it's a little bit sad in the front. She doesn't have a good friend. And so she like accidentally saves the unicorn's life and the unicorn grants her a wish. And her wish is that the unicorn will be her best friend. And then they have oh adventures God. together. Like, stop. <laughs> like, it's just too cute. Uh, I will also say that I told Liberty I was going to recommend this on the show, and she gave me a unicorn name in honor of recommending this, which was Forsythia Luminous Knuckles. So (laughs) you heard it here first, y'all. That sounds like a um, roller derby name. Luminous Knuckles. Knuckles, You're you're not wrong. I will accept that. I will accept that. Uh, So again, that's Phoebe and Her Unicorn by Dana Simpson. It's the first in the Phoebe and Her Unicorn series. Good stuff. All right. Our next question is from What Did I Miss? Who says, I'm moving from being a fourth grade teacher to a fifth grade teacher next year, which means I'll be teaching U.S. history for the first time. I need some good books to read over the summer to refresh my knowledge and give me a better understanding of U.S. history outside of the list of white men violating human rights and calling it progress history I was taught in school. (laughs) Join the club, my friend. (laughs) We have all been there. Question continues. The only U.S. history I've learned about since leaving school is Hamilton or Hamilton adjacent. Mm -hmm. I've already read Chernow's biography of Hamilton, and I've got a copy of The Half Has Never Been Told. But some good engaging nonfiction about U.S. history not from the view of old white women would be appreciated. Amanda, what do you have? 
Um, I picked These Truths by Joe Lepore, which is my favorite work of American history ever. Um, it starts in 1492 and goes all the way up to the present day. And the things... Okay, so I love two things about this this history book. I love that it is not snarky. Like, I, I look, I am a snark queen. Like, I, I get it. I love it. I love a good snark. And a lot of the reasons why Hamilton is so appealing is because it's, like, kind of snarky. But she's a Harvard um, professor of American history, and she takes the like American experiment very seriously. And like, I appreciate that because as critical as I am of American history and, of you know, you know, as you said, these like white men violating human rights and calling it progress things, I do think there is value, a lot of value in the like fundamental ideas of what America is supposed to be and was has always supposed to have been. So and she also feels that way, like still thinks there's some value in the American experiment. The other thing that I like about it is that she leaves no one out. So when she starts in 1492, um, for obvious reasons, you know, Columbus, Ocean Blue, all of that, um, she is not talking about like, and then Columbus discovered America. She's talking about like, and then Columbus invaded an existing population of several million people with a thriving economy and like culture and all, you know, like she she doesn't leave out the indigenous people who are already here by the millions. She doesn't leave out LGBTQ people. She doesn't leave out any, like everyone who existed, she is going to talk about um, because otherwise, to do otherwise is bad history, right? To pretend like these people weren't here (laughs) and haven't been here this whole time is nonsense. Um, And she also draws a really clear, uh, one of the most impressively clear through lines from uh, slavery to the year 2019. Yeah, 2019 when the book came out. Um, And the state of both our social division right now and how we got there from slavery. Like there is a very direct through line from 1700 Georgia, you know, to 2019 anywhere in the country like it's very obvious and she lays it out very clearly um it's not aggressive she's not she's not uncritical obviously but she's not trying to um place blame on anyone who is like alive right now or she's just it's a very compassionate book um and i think this is why i recommend it to like everyone's dad because it is appealing she's talking about all of these great you know military moments and political moments um but it's also like but humans, <laughs> which I think, uh, you know, in a lot of history, especially the stuff that we were taught in high school, you don't really get the uh, but what about the people, you know, idea. So that's These Truths, A History of the United States by Jill Lepore. I picked a book that addresses one of the biggest gaps in my uh, American history education, and that is The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. And I f- like I really do feel like I was never taught anything about Asian Americans except for the internment camps in World War II. Like that mm. is the was the sum total of my knowledge about Asian Americans in American history before I started picking up this book. Um, and I'm reading it like little bits by little bits as I my library hold comes and goes. It's like a, <laughs> I just pick it back up when I get it back on my on my Libby app. Um, But it's so interesting and there's so much going on here. And it's just like it's I mean, it's it's baffling to me how little of this I was taught in schools who know I don't know what if any of this is being taught now. My guess is probably not. But, you know, there were Asian sailors who came 
on ships in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. There were indentured coolies, quote unquote, who worked alongside African slaves in the Caribbean. There were, you know, uh, across like East Asia and South Asian immigrants who were recruited to work in the U.S. and then were, you know, came over and faced racial discrimination. There were Asian exclusion laws. I mean, you know, and then, of course, there's World War II. Like, there's all kinds of interesting things. And Erica Lee is charting, you know, all the way back to the 1500s and then into the present day, the evolution from, you know, being a despised or ignored minority into being a model minority and how complicated Mm. and, like, whacked out that is (laughs) for Asian Americans. And, you know, she's just tackling all of this heavy stuff. Um, But it is really engagingly written. I don't think it's, like, inaccessible or too academic. Like, she's definitely writing, I think, to make it accessible. And, you know, like I said, just like so missing from my own education and so fascinating and and important um, to, I think, understanding like a lot of what's going on today as well. So again, that is The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. All right. Question four is from Emily, who says, I've been going through some mental health challenges this year that have affected my self-motivation, particularly when it comes to reading. I'm trying to push past some of those barriers, but with any difficult journey, I want to start small. So I need recommendations that will be a guaranteed win for me as I begin to reignite my passion for reading on the reg. Here are some books I've read over the past couple years that I couldn't put down. Um, Let's see. We've got Red, White, and Royal Blue, Little Fires Everywhere, Radio Silence, uh, Very Large Expansive Sea, To All the Boys I Loved Before, um, The Poet X, The Hate You Give, and Vicious by V.E. Schwab. I clearly love romance and YA with a touch of mystery, hijinks, and a lot of feelings. So books with any or all of these vibes are great. Female, non-binary, trans authors are A+. Okay, I'm going to keep talking. I picked I Wish You All the Best by Mason Deaver because you do seem to really like an angsty contemporary YA. So I picked like the angstiest contemporary <laughs> YA that I have read in recent memory. Um, this is about uh, Ben, Ben DeBacher, which is a cool name. Who has, when the book, like page one book opens, Ben has come out to their parents as non-binary. Their parents are very old-fashioned and religious, and they immediately throw them out of the house. So Ben is forced to, like, wander the streets for a night and then calls their sister Hannah, who they haven't talked to in... I think 10 years when the book starts. Um, So estranged older sister, Hannah, who is currently married. She has a husband named Thomas, who Ben has not ever met. So Hannah comes and gets Ben and like takes them in. Um, And from there, it's just like a story about a kid accepting themselves. And also Ben meets, um, it's like the last half of their senior year when all of this is happening. So it's like an interesting age because I think they're they're 18 or almost 18. So like right on the cusp of being an adult. So last half of the senior year and they transfer to Thomas, their like brother-in-law, their newly discovered brother-in-law's school where uh, where Thomas teaches and meets Nathan, who is a, a boy who like is a sign, kind of assigned to be Ben's guide, I guess, around the school. You know how like when you're a new student and you transfer and so, like another student is put in charge of like showing you where your locker is and all that. So that becomes Nathan's job. Um, ben is very shy like ben is a a kind of i don't want to say withdrawn but like they're going through a lot and they're kind of introverted they're like spending a lot of time online and like drawing and that kind of stuff and but nathan is this really outgoing bubbly like hey what you doing can i see that drawing where are you going for lunch like you know extroverted kind of kid (laughs) um and so ben is like "Ah!" (laughs) but also you're cool and like let's hang out and so their friendship becomes more and more intimate and like deep and i'm sure you can figure out where that is going um and along the way it's just so thoughtful like ben goes to therapy and you're you watch they go to an lgbtq um not friendly but like 
a therapist who specializes in helping kids in their like come out or transition or any of that kind of thing. And so seeing like a really compassionate and understanding um, therapist help a kid deal with their feelings of like being rejected by their family or their parents. Um, and all that. it's just really lovely. And you would just like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, when I was a foster parent, I took in kids who were this age, like older teenagers, and you just like they're just overgrown puppy dogs. Like they look like adults, but they have the brains of puppies. You know, like they're just giant kids, and you just want to like hug them. And that's how I felt the whole time I was reading Aww. this with Ben. Like I just want you to come stay with me. I mean, your sister seems fine, but like I want you to come live <laughs> with me so I can like make you cake. I don't know. We could go shopping. Like I don't know. You know. <laughs> um, but it's very heartwarming. So much angst. The relationship between Ben and Nathan is adorable. I love it. So that's I wish you all the best by Mason Deaver. And this is own voices. So if that's something that uh, you know you're looking for specifically, there you go. I also leaned into YA with feels. Uh, <laughs> I picked Ramona Blue by Dr- Julie Murphy because I think it has uh, some of the conflicts that, you know, books that you've read previously have addressed. The main character, um, Ramona, is dealing with some class issues and self-identity issues and sexuality issues. And there's just like a lot going on. So. Ramona lives with her father and then her sister and her sister's boyfriend, who have just, like, moved back into the family trailer. Very small house. I can't remember if it's actually a trailer. But they they lost their house when the, in Hurricane Katrina um, when Ramona was five and, you know, have really been struggling ever since. And so Ramona, you know, she—they live in this very small town um, in Mississippi, and she's got multiple jobs. She's trying to graduate from school. Her mom has moved out and is really flaky. She just is like trying to hold the family together. And then her sister, who is older, uh, is now pregnant and like struggling in in her relationship with her boyfriend slash baby daddy. And so there's a lot going on. And then a childhood friend named Freddie returns to the area um, over the summer and their friendship picks back up off, uh, but in like new strange ways. And so, you know, there's like layers upon layers of things to deal with there. And there's I just I love Ramona's evolution over the course of this book because, you know, it's not just about the romance or it's not just about the family problems. It's so much about like not seeing any options for yourself and then starting to understand that you do have choices that you get to make that you previously thought you couldn't because of the people around you or the situation that you found yourself in. And like that narrative, that journey always gives me feels like people Mm -hmm. finding their choices. Oh my gosh, I'm like tearing up talking about it. So lots of good feels in here (laughs) is what I'm saying. And yeah, I just, I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, So again, that's Ramona Blue by Julie Murphy. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at 
She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. And now it's time for another question. All right. Our next question is from Chris, who says, I am usually a big fantasy buff. I just want to get lost in a new universe, new magic, new characters. Recently, I read the Seven Sisters series, which is not my usual jam, but I'm in love. The characters, the writing, the world discovery. It has made me a new historical fiction fan. I'm looking for a big, fat series to get lost in, a new world to discover, hopefully magical, Uh, new characters, huge plot twists, unexpected deaths, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> if it's not fantasy, I don't mind as long as the plot is addictive and fast paced. I'm just going to keep talking. I'm pulling out a getbook chestnut here, but it's so <laughs> perfect. I am not going to apologize. And I haven't talked about it in a minute. It's the Acacia series by David Anthony Durham, which I have been billing on the show as the more diverse, less sexual violence sort of Game of Thrones <laughs> series. There are three, I want to say three books in the series, and it is just so, like, talk about immersive world building. This world is fascinating. It is like that kind of medievalish. uh you know, technology level. So there's lots of swords. There's also lots of magic. There's also drugs and like child trafficking. Like there's some really heavy, serious issues in this series. And the main characters are all part of the ruling family. The father, Leoden Akarin, is, you know, the emperor, as it were, over this uh, acacia And he's got four kids, and he has really hidden from them the actual cost and structures of the power that they have. And then he is assassinated, 
And they are scattered to the four winds, some with friendlies, some with not so friendlies, and have to kind of struggle to, you know, survive and figure out, like, who killed their father? Who do they trust? Who do they not trust? How do they get back home? And in the meantime, you know, this um, other... Uh, you know, race of folks called the Mine, uh, who are like very like Vikingy, um, have taken over and are making all kinds of terrible, violent, and gross decisions. And so there's a lot of like you know political struggle and actual battles, and then there's the magical elements, and it's just so so juicy, so much to sink your teeth into in terms of the world building and how the magic in this system works is great. And I love the characters. I mean, I don't actually like some of them, but I love <laughs> all of them. It's that kind of series. So again, that's the Acacia series by David Anthony. Durham, the first book is called The War with the Mine. Um, I also picked an old <laughs> chestnut that I've been recommending for years on the show, but whatever, I stand by it. The Tufa series by Alex Bledsoe. The first book is called The Hum and the Shiver. There are six books in this series, and it's like, I it's current fantasy. Like, it's not, you know, Tolkien in a green garden grove kind of fantasy, like medieval based. This is modern day, but it's also not urban fantasy because it's not a city. So these books take place in the Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee. Alex Bledsoe, the author, is from Tennessee, West Tennessee, but whatever. And the Tufa are a, like a people group who live in the, like the hollers of East Tennessee in the mountains. They're very suspicious of outsiders and they've been there for millennia. Like when the indigenous population came from, you know, across the like Russian, what's that thing? That like land the bridge. Street. Yeah, yes. They were already here. And of course when the Europeans arrived, they were already here. So these people mysteriously arrived in the mountains of Tennessee, like thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, and have been an insulated, um, really closed off community ever since. And so the main character of the first book is her name is Bronwyn. She's Bronwyn Hyatt. She is um a private in the army who was fighting in the Iraq war who got wounded and came home. Um and you know at her house are all the things that she didn't want that she like ran away from in the first place, which is like her really weirdly insulated community and her obligations to that community and her boyfriend who's like kind of violent and dangerous. Um and also like all the the kind of expected troubles that happen when you live in the mountains in a rural area or like poverty and all that kind of thing. Um, also, when she gets back, you can, and the, like, the magic kind of slowly builds in this series. When she gets back, her family tells her that there's like a haint that's been um, hinting, haunting <laughs> the, <laughs> like the neighborhood. Um, and so she has to deal with that and figure out what that means. And it, it's it's told, it's said to like foretell the death of a family member. Um, and she thinks that it's probably her because she's got all these wounds. But like, is it? I don't know. Also, like, who are these people? They're obviously supernatural um, and have really strange societal. So you figure it out pretty early. They can fly. Like you figure out pretty early what, what kind of uh, creatures these people are because they're not exactly human, even though they have like bred, I guess. What a weird way to put it. Had children with humans, made families with humans um, over the millennia. And then each book in the series follows a different character, either from the Tufa, like a person who is a Tufa, or an outsider who has come to Tennessee, who has come to this like area of the mountains where the Tufa are because they are searching for something. Like, they've heard about how, you know, the these people are irrationally talented musically and want to explore that or whatever. Um, there's a lot of infighting. It's just so fascinating and, like, weird. It's got that kind of Neil Gaiman, like, 
creepy fantasy thing going on. It's weird. It's a little bit creepy. Um, and I love the setting because I read, I mean, you know, I read a lot of fantasy and I do get a little bit tired of how much is, of it is set in like what is just an analog for European, like medieval Europe. Um, so seeing a really long kind of epic fantasy series, I mean, it's not like epic in the technical term, but it's epic. We get six books. It's really long. A fantasy series set in a place like uh, rural Tennessee. Like, I just love that so much. I love that it exists and also that it's really good. So the first book is The Hum and the Shiver. Again, it's the Tufa series by Alex Bledsoe. Okay, it is me. So question six is from D, who says, I love fantasy. I love Renaissance period looking fairies and witches and elves and idiot human made characters who go into the forest and find a fully set table with every food imaginable and go, yeah, nothing strange or magical about this. I will simply eat this sparkling bread and go back home to my normal human life. I love this question so much. And then are surprised when the fairy queen kidnaps them and is like, oh, you ate our enchanted food and belong to us now. Well, I love all of the above. What I don't love is how prevalent racism, anti-Semitism, misogyny, and homophobia are in these genres, particularly when they're written by men or white women. When I voiced this in a Facebook group, a dude bro responded saying, so you expect writers to cater to your liberal snowflake fantasy. Let's be realistic. Racism and magic or racism and sexism exist everywhere. But he's talking about elves and magic. So what I'd love to find is a fantasy book that has magic and fairies, but is also my liberal snowflake fantasy where no woman gets kidnapped and abused. There are no racist or anti-Semitic anti-Semitic caricatures and everyone lives happily ever after. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I really had a hard time with this question <laughs> uh, because, as I just said, I read a lot of fantasy and a lot of it is what I would very happily describe as liberal snowflake social justice warrior fantasy. But most of it is about the justice that's happening. Like the racism or the sexism exists and the characters are battling it to make the world better. Like that's what most of the fantasy that I read that ha deals with political themes has. Like it's about the like the struggle or the battle to make the world better. So finding one that where it's already like that battle is over or never happened in the first place because everything is fine already. That was really hard. So I had to go to the contributors for this. Um, so our contributor, Ali, recommended the Dealing with Dragons series by Patricia Reed, which somebody mentioned in a question earlier in this show. Um, and I read the first one and it is adorable. I will say that this is a, like a middle grade YA series. So I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for, but I think you should check it out either way. Give it a chance. And this is about a princess named Cimmerine, who is the youngest princess in her family. She's got like several older sisters who are all great princesses. Like they're all beautiful and graceful and great at embroidery and blah, 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 blah. Um, Cimmerine is not like that. Like she keeps sneaking off to do stuff like learning how to fence or learning how to cook or like taking uh, Latin lessons because she just wants to. Um, and so she grows up being constantly told that like she's not being like the right kind of princess. And eventually her parents get like kind of annoyed with her and want to just marry her off to a prince in a neighboring kingdom. And she does not want to do that. So instead she runs away um, to live with the like dragons who live down the street. And this is a typical, you know, like these dragons often kidnap princesses and take them hostage so that the knights can come and save them and that whole thing. But Cimmerine is like, no, just let me live here. Like, I just want to live here, please. And they're like, oh, rad. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> so she just like moves in with the dragons and practices all her skills that she really loves to do. Like she cooks for them. Um, she catalogs their, their, you know, hordes basically of magical items. And then uh, a series of knights begin to come to try to, quote unquote, rescue her. And she's very much like she reminds me a lot of a um, Terry Pratchett character where she's just like, no, like, I'm fine. I'm I don't need that by now, you know, like just very practical and earthy and level headed. Um, and things escalate as more and more knights like 
mess up her day to try to get her to go home and like quote unquote rescue her when she deeply just wants to be left alone with like her library um and there are wizards there are witches there's witches and like magical cats it's got a lot going on but it is so great like the biggest problem here is that these knights keep bugging her and she has to figure out ways to like make them leave her alone and she gets more and more creative with it so that she can just like go about her day it's wonderful it's just wonderful so that's dealing with dragons by patricia reed that whole series is one of my comfort reads. I do. It was very comforting. Enjoy it thoroughly. Yeah. It's not super diverse, I will say, but it is pretty free of struggles. So, so the cover, and I realized this was probably, I mean, it's got to be a reissue, but the cover of the copy that I got from Libby has Cimmerine as a black girl. Really? Yeah. And it says in the book that she has like curly black hair, but it doesn't, I, for, as far as I can remember, does not describe her in any other way. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, I don't. don't Yeah, that's cool. I'm into that. (laughs) Uh, So my my edition from when I was a kid definitely had a white submarine just for the record. And on Goodreads, that's definitely a white girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't I don't remember that it's specified in the book, actually. So that's that's awesome. Uh, So I picked An Accident of Stars by Foz Meadows, which is a portal fantasy that is like the most satisfyingly. I mean, I'm using the word snowflakey here approvingly. Like, it's the most yes. satisfyingly <laughs> snowflakey magical realm portal fantasy I read in the last couple of years. The main character, Saffron, lives in our world and she's at school and sees someone go through like a hole in reality. And, you know, because inquisitive teenage girl, she, of course, tries to figure out what happened, herself goes through the portal, and finds herself in this magical realm that is on the brink of civil war, and ends up teaming up with a bunch of different people, including a, like, spoiled runaway and an earth walk- a world walker from Earth um, who, like, has been enmeshed in the politics of this fantasy world for some time while also going back and forth to Earth. Um, There's like an ex-priestess, there's secret orders, there's mystics, there's rebels, there's a matriarchy, there's just like all kinds of things. And this world doesn't really have like homophobia. There's all kinds of different relationships on thing. And Saffron actually is like, has to sort of check herself. Like she has to check her own internalized prejudices, which she doesn't even realize she has in the way that she's responding to various things in this magical realm. So like I said, it's like very satisfying in that way. You're just like, oh yeah, all of this is fine in this other place. Like how nice, how lovely is that? Uh, So yeah, it's really fun. It's the first in a series. Again, that's An Accident of Stars by Foz Meadows. And our last question is from Maria, who says, I'm usually a fiction reader, but lately I've been I have read The Education of an Idealist by Samantha Power and Becoming by Michelle Obama, both of which I really enjoyed. However, they're both about women in the Obama administration, and I'm interested in autobiographies or memoirs about women who are maybe on the other side of the political spectrum, but also nobody completely far right, if that (laughs) makes sense. I just want to get more than one side of an argument from a woman's perspective. I'm going to keep talking. This is a tough one. Yeah. (laughs) Really tough. Um, I have a recommendation from Jeff because I just, first of all, don't read these kinds of books. Honestly, I have, and right now I have like zero mental energy for this. So I apologize for not uh, having something read for you. But 
we were talking about this in the Slack for contributors, and Jeff had read this one a while ago um, and said he remembers enjoying it, but with the caveat that he read it a while ago. And it's Lazy Bee, Growing Up on a Cattle Ranch in the American Southwest by Sandra Day O'Connor. Uh, he wrote it with H. Allen Day. And this is the story of Sandra Day O'Connor's like early life. She grew up, like as it says, on a cattle ranch um, <laughs> in the American Southwest and in on the Lazy Bee Ranch in Arizona. And Arizona is, I mean, I lived in Arizona for a while. It's pretty conservative, y'all. Like, it is a pretty red state. And I think especially coming from, like, a cattle ranching background, that is not the kind of story that you're going to get, you know, from the books that you have been reading to this point. And Sandra Day O'Connor is pretty centrist. She's not far right, but, you know, centrist, again, different from what you have been reading. And I think it's a really, I, I, when I have the mental energy, I intend to pick this up because I think it'll be very interesting to read how, you know, growing up in a ranching community in the Southwest shaped Someone like Sandra Day O'Connor, who, you know, like literally the first female justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, like big deal. Um, and how that childhood led to her having the politics that she had and making the decisions that she had. So I think this will help round out your reading a little bit. Again, that's Lazy Bee by Sandra Day O'Connor and H. Allen Day. I also had a hard time <laughs> with this. The only memoir of a person on the right that I've read wasn't a memoir at all. It was some book by Ann Coulter that I read in college for, for lulls. And Yikes. it was, yeah. Ugh. I was very much like, who is this person? Let me find out who this person is. And it was terrifying. Anyway, and that was back when I was much more conservative. She still scared the crap out of me. So I picked No Higher Honor by Condoleezza Rice because um, you seem to like political memoirs. And Condoleezza Rice was the Secretary of State uh, during the Bush administration, Bush the younger, not Bush the older. Um, and during the first term, during Bush's first term, she was his like chief advisor on issues of national security. She was heavily involved in the administration's response to 9-11. Um, and as Secretary of State, of course, had a lot of involvement in like the conflicts that came after that. Um, and so I have a there's a lot there are a lot of things that I disagree with Condoleezza Rice about um, both <laughs> in this book and like in general, you know, but she is not I don't know that I'd call her a centrist, but she's certainly not in culture, you know, like she's not an extremist. She is first and foremost a diplomat and a like a, a like a states person, if that makes sense. I've, I kind of get the impression that she would have taken on the, these roles in the administration of any president, like for any party, whoever was in power at the time, she would have gladly done the work that she did um, because of like who she is and the education that she got as a child and the things that interested her. So, um, again, like, all, I don't I don't even know how to talk about her, really. You can <laughs> hear that I'm like, I don't like her, but also she's not the worst. So if this is what you want, like, if you want to read about um, making really high-powered decisions um, in, during times of, like, intense pressure, which, of course, Michelle Obama had to do um, from another woman, but in an administration that went about things in a really kind of different way, um, then I think this is a good one. Also, like... Michelle Obama and her husband, her husband, that one guy, um, the Obamas, the Obama administration spent a lot of time like mopping up after the situations that Bush and Condoleezza Rice help cause. Um, so I think that that will give even more like perhaps context to your reading of uh, Michelle Obama's memoir. But, you know, obviously Condoleezza Rice believed in what she was doing. Um, and if you read this book, you can tell that she like 
legitimately feels as though she's making the right calls and making the right decisions and trying to do like trying to do right by everyone involved, even though ultimately she very obviously did not. Um, But, you know, you can make your own judgments. And this is what you're looking for, right? Like somebody who was acting in earnest or acting in good faith, but who made calls that you probably don't agree with, like right now. So that's No Higher Honor, a memoir of my years in Washington by Condoleezza Rice. And that's our show. Woohoo! Thank you all for listening. We, as I said at the top, are sending you all the best of thoughts for your self-isolation and quarantining and health and sanity. Uh, If you are so inclined to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we always appreciate it. Uh, It helps other folks to find the show, helps us to know how we're doing. Thank you to our sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can find us in between shows on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am also on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And on Twitter as Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. 